0: I mean, here's the one thing that's nice about being a straight shooter and and no BS is everybody can read you like a book, but sometimes the book sucks, right? (laughs) And so just because they can read you like a book, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to read this book. And that's the
1: problem. And so you want to be a book that's worth reading. Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, it is. Weekly Scrap, 2024 is here. I could not be more excited because I can think of no better person to kick it off on the scrap other than Chief Rob Fisher. He is a suburban firefighter from the Pacific Northwest, currently holds the rank of Battalion Chief in Snohomish County, Washington, which is right outside Seattle. He will be retiring, which we will probably talk about, but he'll be retiring this coming March. After 36 years serving in that department, Rob has been affiliated with the Fools, Brothers in Battle, County Fire Tactics, the Roof Purves, the Highwaymen. He's also the co founder of Young Officers on Fire. He loves food, he loves life, he loves wine, and most of all, he loves his wife, his granddaughters, his family. I am proud to say he is one of my favorite people on this planet and very, very proud to call him a friend. So welcome back, Rob Fisher, as a guest of the Weekly Scrap episode number 226. 226,
0: can you believe it?
1: <laughs> no, brother.
0: <laughs> oh man, I appreciate uh, being back. I love spending time with you and chatting, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of the chats we've had over a period of time, but I'm, I'm excited to be back.
1: I'm excited you're here. Anything I missed in the intro, anything you would like to add?
0: No, I'm a foodie. I love wine. I got some wine here tonight I'm going with a Cabernet from Washington. But uh yeah, that's it, man.
1: Just it's love being here. Sam has informed me on my phone I have an orange tongue. Sorry. <laughs> I was showing everybody I was eating my nerds. This is how I get amped up for the scrap is. <laughs> that's not a sponsor. That's just the nerds that I ate before we went live. Um but speaking of uh Sponsors, we'll go right to them, and so we can get to the scrap. And that is Keyhose, the original sponsors of the scrap, the ones who started it all, the hose experts. You can check them out online at Keyhose.com, follow them on Facebook, and of course, affordable drill tower, home. Uh, firefighter owned and operated. The only thing you can't do on an affordable drill tower is live fire. Affordable drill tower. You can repel, stretch hose lines, go through the stairs, go through the floor, do window bailouts, cut holes in the roof props. Use the apartment balconies, pump into the FDIC, or flow water from the sprinkler system. Call Steve or Dennis at 844-55-TOWER or drop an email to info at station Firestationfurniture.com provides a complete line of quality furniture for your firehouse. It is firefighter-owned and operated. They understand the strain that firefighters put on furniture and offer furniture that's built to last. Visit www com for more information. And then finally, Young Officers on Fire, May 6th through the 8th of this year, 2024, the West Coast Leadership Conference. I'll be there. Rob will be there. Chief Frank Lieb will be there. Derek Roberts, Jeff Rothmeyer, Ben Flegel, Michael Dozier. I'm leaving out names, so I shouldn't even start naming names, but so many people are going to be there. It's going to be an amazing conference. Too many to mention. May 6th through the 8th, Spokane, Washington, Go get registered, youngofficersonfire dot com, and there you go. That officially makes it sponsors done. Scrap ready to roll. Guest is here. Sam is here, uh, making sure that we stay on track. And all that being said, brother, you ready for two two six?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely ready. All right, I'm I appreciate. Go ahead. I appreciate you promoting the uh, conference, and um, you know, what was great. Is that uh, you were there last year? Uh, we brought you in and. And I wanted to kind of pump everybody up and get them all excited. So um, I do appreciate you putting us in on the uh, on your sponsor list. There, I don't know if we paid for that, but uh, if we did, now I'll, I'll have my business guy uh, send you a few
1: bucks. No, no, no not at all, <laughs> man. That's just just a hype, just just to pay back the hype. Well, uh, coming from Greg Van Ham said LFG with three exclamation points. John Shackelford said, "Good evening, brothers." Bradley Valiant Court said, Let's get it. Uh, good evening, all from Joe Gavita. Excited for another exciting scrap. Got my notebook ready. Good evening, brothers. Let's go from Daniel Harris. Engine Company 24, Columbus MS. Is that Mississippi? Is MS Mississippi? Am I, am I terrible? Missouri? On my- Missouri? Is that MO? Geography is not our strong. Hey, it's the scrap. Okay, I thought Mighty Mo, but I wasn't sure. I don't know MS. Someone, uh, Marco, let us know. How about that? He'll know. In the house, oh man, there's so much hype. Uh, there's about 40 people just saying hype. LFG checking in from Traverse City from Josh Morgan. Can't wait to hear what Rob has to say from Kevin McLean. MS is Mississippi. Laugh out loud. Someone's laughing at it. That's okay. That's okay. We earned it on that one. All right. Um, no abbreviations for states unless it's very obvious. Okay. Uh, with that being said, Rob, are you ready to go?
0: Yeah, I well, first of all, I think it's crazy that uh Salka, Lasky, and you know, and I know that um we were talking earlier, but I'm like, it's just crazy to be following those cool dudes. Those are those are mentors and, and guys that I had, you know, followed through their careers and after their careers and you know, I'm fortunate to be able to go to conferences and teach with them and you know, at the same time or, you know, being at the same conference instructing. And so it's crazy. It's crazy that I'm here at 226, but I'm ready.
1: Let's go. You know what's awesome is, is like literally what what a great way to close out 2020, 2023 was amazing. You know, just unreal. The guest after guest, after guest, after knowledge bomb, after knowledge bomb, everything from, I mean, I don't even want to start naming names, but then closing it out, Salka Lasky, right? And then it's like Salka Lasky Fisher, right? kicking <laughs> off Fisher with 2024 i can't think of a better way to do it man and absolutely i love it uh so opening topic of 2024 and we're going to talk about the 29th anniversary mary Pang.
0: yeah Yeah, i i I wanted to start this off i know you know when we were kind of exchanging topics and and i wanted to start start off with uh the anniversary of the mary Pang fire which is a, a significant fire in seattle's history and um and the reason why is that uh, many, many years of uh, being a part of the fools, we we would go down to the vacant lot uh, where the warehouse was and we'd hang out with uh, brothers and sisters and uh, pipes and drums would come out and we might partake in a little bit of uh, adult uh, libation, um, kind of remembering and celebrating the lives of of uh, Walter Kilgore, Gregory Shoemaker, um, Randy Turlicker, and James Brown. Um, so the thing that just kind of hits me is it's six o'clock at night here in, in Washington. I'm, I'm not home in Vegas. I'm up in Washington. And, uh, if you were to go back to 1995, when this fire occurred, um, six o'clock at night, uh, Seattle fire was probably, everybody was eating dinner or somewhere near there. And the alarm came in just a little bit after seven o'clock in the evening. And, uh, I believe it is the largest Uh, Line of duty, loss of life for Seattle fire uh, with the four with the four firefighters being killed that night. Mm. It was an arson fire. Um, The son of the family wanted to collect uh, insurance money and he set the fire and and uh, there was a floor collapse with uh, firefighters on the on the floor and they basically dumped down into the body of fire. There was a lot of lessons learned. I and I, I know I sent you uh, a copy of the report and it's an old report because it was done by the U S fire administration. It was a, I think it was called a technical report. And uh, so this is before NIOSH and all that stuff. Was it was so, 1995. Okay. Yeah. Making sure I had my year right. Yeah. So, um, so when you read the report, there was a lot of lessons learned Seattle fire department, um, you know, came out of this um, having to, you know, do a lot of changes as a result. And so uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about it tonight because uh, typically when I am not working and I'm up in Washington, um, I would probably be down at uh, down in Seattle with all the brothers and sisters remembering uh, these four brothers that were killed uh, because it was an arson fire, you know, so I I don't think.
1: No, I don't want to stop on it. Sorry. I said, I don't think there's a better way to honor, uh, you know, RFB remember fallen brothers. I don't think there's a better way to honor, uh, their sacrifice than to tend to, to revisit it yeah. and, and, and the lessons learned. So absolutely. I can't think of a, a better way to start off the scrap than talking about it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. And this really came and you, you and I, and, um, we talk a lot about our wives and, and our lives and how they support us and everything. And this was a significant event because six months, Prior to it, I was working on the medic unit and I went to a a line of duty. So, so let me back up and say the, the, the line of duty, line of duty death and the funeral that resulted at this was the first one that I went to as a firefighter of a firefighter line of duty death. And there was well over 10,000 firefighters. And it was, it was just like, it was overwhelming, you know, being a young firefighter and, but six months prior to that, I was working on a medic unit and, uh, and we went to a, an officer in, officer involved shooting. Basically it was a murder with hostages and, and one of the Snomish County sheriffs where I worked, uh, in Snomish County, uh, was shot and killed. And so that was the first line of duty death of a first responder that I was on. And when you look at my wife and I had only been married a few years, um, I'm kind of newer into all of this six months apart. We're just dealing with these things. And so right. it was, um, it was a challenge for my wife and I, it was a challenge for like, this is what this profession really is. I mean, you you know, you, you could not come home one night and, uh, or one morning. And so it, it really challenged us and caused us to really think about our family and how we were going to do this. And I know Jody and I, we talk about it. She posted on Facebook today. Um, about the Mary Payne fire and made mention about how we were growing as a young couple and how this had an impact on her.
1: No, without a doubt. And like you said, there's no way we do what we do without, you know, you have Jody, I have Amanda and the support that we have in that regard. Uh, Yeah. So, um, but anyways,
0: I just, I just thought, I don't want to start on a downer, but um, it is a fire that I think that everybody can learn from. Mm Um, uh, I've studied it for years, you know, um, I probably know more about that fire, um, than, than a lot of the Seattle firefighters that are working there today. I mean, they know of it, but I've looked at it from different angles. In fact, I was in a meeting before this, um, and Phil Jost is retired deputy chief out of Seattle fire and, and, um, meeting with him and we just kind of brought it up and talked a little bit about it. And I was saying, Hey, where were you that night? And he wasn't on duty. But, uh, his company was there. Right. And, uh, so we kind of talked about it and, but we'll, st- we'll start with uh, the big stuff and then we'll get into the light stuff and start talking about Quince and all that. <laughs> <other
1: things. laughs> no, I love it. Uh, and, and Sam, uh, Matt Musikit posted. I, what I'm guessing is also a report. It might be the same one, but Sam also has the file that Rob sent, which is the, the report he referenced from the USFA. Uh, so if you want to download that, if you want to reference it, if you want to study it, uh, Sam posted the link for it, so you can download it. Right on. Are you there? I lose you. No, I'm right here, man. Got quiet. Got quiet for a second. Then I heard him.
0: Oh, I was just letting you. I was letting you chat. That's why I didn't want to interrupt you. I don't want to. I don't want to walk in. I mean, we, you and I, we did the nine L's together, and uh, the the well, it should be the eight listen. L's and the one C for for communication. But right. we did the nine L's, and I'm trying to listen, man. I'm trying to listen.
1: Listen was as close as it got to capturing communication with an L word, okay? You got to understand, there's only so many L words, as I've been informed. (laughs) There's only eight light bulbs on that L I have been informed. (laughs) All right, so let's do it. Limited staffing and or resources. Let's talk about the – and I don't even want to say limited, but just uh, task-saturated, manpower limited, right? What – when is vertical ventilation appropriate? Let's just kick it off and let's go straight to, ver- let's go straight to truck ops and let's start talking tactics.
0: I mean, obviously being a West coast uh, truckie back in the day when I was working on a ladder truck, but um, you know, I'm influenced a lot by the LA FD style. And um, so we, we would do regular vertical ventilation and I've, and I've lectured on it. It's been part of my uh, lecture for quint operations when I was lecturing on quince and um and and i taught well the highway the highwayman we we talk we teach about vertical ventilation from the west coast perspective and um so the question always comes up is like you know when do you vertically ventilate is vertical ventilation uh beneficial on every fire and and the and i think the reality is is that when you look at the the number of fire departments in the nation, and I had to look this up because I, I didn't know because I I knew that there was the you know I knew that the number was somewhere near thirty thousand, but there's twenty seven thousand, a little over twenty seven thousand fire departments in the nation, okay. and only fifteen percent of those departments have more than three stations, and so really what it, what it says to me is is that. Majority of us are running with small, small uh, departments, um, less than three stations. Now, that doesn't mean that it's just their department going on the fire and it might be a mixed bag of things. But in a lot of the cases, the majority of the departments that are respond on these are are resource limited. So when I get the question of is vertical ventilation good at all fires? Well, really, it's it's very it's dependent on your resources it's, it's dependent on the arrival of your resources, dependent on your staffing. I mean, there's so many things. But really when you cut it and they say, well, what what are my priorities? You know, Well, the priorities should be put water on the fire and search the building, period. And if you've got the ability at that time to do additional ventilation outside of horizontal ventilation, which is pretty easy, it's the fastest way to do ventilation. But if you have the ability to do vertical ventilation, I mean, it's been proven that vertical ventilation is effective when you can do it the hard part is coordinating it and being able to do it in in a time frame that makes it beneficial for the fire ground so limited resources departments are really having a hard time or will have a hard time doing that and in my department i mean when i started we were two two man engine company and we would go to fires this is before two in and two out we'd go to fires. And I would be driving, for instance, we'd stretch a line, I'd set the pump, and we'd go in before the second engine got there. Wow. That was just the way we did things back Right,
1: then. right. It was just operate, standard operating procedure.
0: Standard operating procedure. And the next engine would come in, would be another two-person engine company. And they might secure the water supply, you know, and then, then we were talking about if we got on the fire, then we're doing search. We weren't doing vertical ventilation when I first started. It wasn't until we were starting to get to be a bigger department, and we were probably five stations that it then really started to be an option for us to be able to pull. And, you know, we started doing it on a regular basis. Now, in some areas, I mean, where we were at that time, we were a three-person truck company. And um, so the idea of splitting the ladder truck and having doing primary search and doing vertical ventilation, it just, it wasn't possible. But right. we would send additional engine companies. And in, in, in my, you know, in, in in my department or in our region, the majority of the primary search is done by engine companies or EMS units because we're fire-based EMS as well. So they're done that way. And that the ladder trucks, limited ladder trucks in the county that I'm in, ladder trucks typically will do a lot of the support functions as vertical ventilation, additional ladders, and those things. And Not that they don't do primary search, but that's why we have additional engines there. Right. And so when you look at the the, the resource-limited department, it's just it's not typically – uh, an option for them. And then, I mean, I think back to the days when we were really looking at a lot of this stuff. I'm looking at LAFD, I'm looking at the FDNY, I'm looking at these really big departments. Well, I probably was trying to implement tactics, I guarantee you, early on in my career and in, in being newly promoted, implementing tactics that probably weren't effective at that time, given our staffing levels and our, you know, the resources we were sending to a fire. So, um, I think I'm answering that question, but no, I think so. And
1: Eddie Ivy was the first question from the from the audience coming at you. And it's basically just straight down the pipe of what we're talking about. What's your advice for departments that want to be aggressive with ventilation of all types, but have long responses and minimal staffing? And that's basically what you're talking about here. Yeah.
0: I would I would say um if you can have the amount of resources needed to to get to all of the the functions that need to be done on the fire ground, some departments are going to be a little bit heavier on in their IMS or their command and and might support a chief officer with another, you know, officer, you know, a, a tactical boss or something. But if I'm looking at fire attack, I'm looking at securing a water supply. I'm looking at primary search on the standard, you know, single story dwelling or two story dwelling. And if I wanted to implement vertical ventilation, you're probably needing five suppression rigs there to be able to, 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 you know, be able to make that happen. And if, if you can't get five rigs there in short order, then it probably is not the tactic that you need to go to. Now, if you can, then, then you got to back up all of this with good solid training because one of the challenges and the arguments that we get into when it comes to vertical ventilation is uh, ventilating on engineered construction or what some people would call lightweight construction is that we do it all the time. And, um, and I know that there's a part of the country that's like, there's no way where we'd ever get on a lightweight roof or a engineered roof. And we're like, well, if we didn't, we'd never be getting on any roofs. And and if we didn't go into buildings that had trusses, we wouldn't be going to any buildings to put out fires. And so we're comfortable in that environment. And so having the, the proper training would help you out and, and being able to like, how can you be efficient and how it can be effective with vertical ventilation?
1: So We'll, do, we'll drill down here a little bit and say, if you only have limited staffing and apparatus, what are your priorities on the fire ground? Priority is going to be put water on the fire.
0: It's going to be a primary search and support it with some type of horizontal ventilation. That probably can be done with as little as, you know, if, if you're running command by the officer, probably can be done as as little as like six people. And you got to back that, uh, you know, depending on if you're in a rural area You're going to probably need tender or tanker supply, whichever you guys call it. And uh, if you're not in the rural area and you got hydrants, then you're going to need somebody to help get your water supply. So um, my priorities would be water on the fire, primary search, horizontal ventilation, followed by vertical ventilation. There you go.
1: Boom. Boom. Uh, Love it or hate it? I I mean, I'll get to that one in a second. Uh, Scott (laughs) Hope Jr. wants to know, how does West Coast versus East Coast or geographical location in general, affect truck company strategy and tactics?
0: Wow, these are going to be some great questions. Um,
1: Only the best the trappers, by the way. Only the best. Yeah,
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, staffing is a little bit different. So if you take a FDNY staff ladder truck or Chicago ladder truck, I mean, mean, if they're understaffed when they're at four, and I go to my department... (laughs) three is good staffing. Four right. is great staffing. And uh, so you, you typically have um, some different staffing and, and some of that is just urban department versus suburban departments. Um, but the other thing is, is East coast. So, so to, to back all of this up, I guess I would say is the, there's a lot of conversation about firefighting is local and it really is local. It's very difficult for us to have uh, like a, single this is the way we fight fire in the in united states because the different types of construction the different types of buildings different demographics different kind of staff you know it just it just makes it almost impossible so so really when we look at it is is firefighting in general is is local uh, or regional i would say then when we're looking at like for vertical ventilation and truck operations now we're talking about the types of construction because it impacts the way that you're going to utilize a lot of the truck functions and if we're talking about vertical ventilation, there's more um, engineered structures in the area than I am at, than there are conventional constructed structures. Like I said mm. earlier, it was just like, right. We just, that's all we deal with. That's our reality. That's, that's yeah. our reality. So you got to be good at it. And I think, you know, for the latter companies that I work with or worked with in our region, they're very good with engineered construction. They know what they can and cannot do. And they know how to, um, up- and, um, all that stuff whereas on the east coast one of the problems is east coast apartments are more familiar and more comfortable with conventional construction and older construction so when you get on an injured engineered roof for instance then they're not as comfortable with it just the same as i'm just not as comfortable being on and yeah you know, i couldn't imagine being on a building that's 120 right. years old and like I'd feel uncomfortable being on it, and and yet you could be on it for long periods of time, but I would rather be on the engineered because I know when it's consuming product, when it's consuming the actual material itself, I can see it and I can deal with it, and I know where I can go. Right. Whereas, you know, wall bombs or any of the the major collapses that had uh, killed a lot of firefighters, you go like, well, why did that collapse? I mean, what was well, it could have been just that fire was up in the location and and there was rapid failure of these large trusses. And when you do that, especially on like a string or an arch truss, whichever, however you want to call it, um, they take large sections. And so when you lose one of those, you can lose like 32 feet of roof right. in, in the matter of the loss of one single truss. So, mm. so it does get, it does get regional and it does get, you know, East Coast versus West Coast. Most East coast departments will not get on pitched roofs and on the West coast, we get on pitched roofs all the time.
1: I want to tell you every once in a while you're freezing video wise and it's awesome. Cause you'll freeze in a, in a very cute uh, or not flattering way. And it's great. Really? The audio sounds great. So it's good. Okay, every, every once in a while it gets a little roboty. That's okay. It's not, it's not unlistenable, but I wanted to, I wanted to mention it. So just so you could be aware, uh,
0: <laughs> You ready well, to get on my end, on my end? I'm I'm just I'm not having any issues at all. So
1: no, it was very brief. It was very brief, but you do freeze every once in a while, and it's sometimes you're. Can I freeze
0: with yeah. a glass of wine? Am I my possible <laughs> possible.
1: Uh, okay, uh, you ready to get personal? Yeah. JD Ducharm said, "Chief Fisher is one of the real ones." For Rob, if you could go back in time and put one goal as a priority for your career, what would it have been? what has something you didn't focus on that you wish you would have
0: in leadership greatest the greatest trait you can have in leadership is is developing good relationships and i think one of my big mistakes early on i was i was promoted at an early age i was immature i didn't necessarily have the right um, upbringing just in my organization it was small there wasn't much for experience, much for experience in leadership. And so uh, I think I made a lot of mistakes in in my relationships early on. Uh, I jokingly say when I'm teaching class and I'm like, I was clubbing SEALs when I was, you know, a a young company officer. And uh, the problem with that is, uh, one, if I want to be a good leader, I got to develop relationships. But two, you know, some of those SEALs that I club might be my boss later on. And so I, if I could go back, I would, I would say I would, I'd be better at developing relationships and, uh, and not being so hard on people. I mean, I, I was, I, I think I was probably pretty difficult to work with. Um, especially when we were talking about truck operations, we were, uh, my driver who drove for me for 17 years, Chad Berg, um, we were two like-minded individuals and, uh, we wanted to get this ladder truck operation stuff and get a you know get us as as recognized as our, as our, a dependable ladder company in our county and i think we did a really good job at it but in doing so we we had a lot of collateral damage right. with relationships and stuff so that would be my big thing if i if i could go back is is spend more time um, really having a better understanding of the impact of relationships emotional intelligence all that kind of stuff and how I can how, how I can make sure I foster foster them for the future.
1: No, I love it, and and that's the paradox of it is is that as now that you're older and wiser, a little longer in the tooth, so to say, or maybe a little more gray in the mustache, uh, it's that's when you appreciate it because you, there, there was no way you could have appreciated even if you could go back and say, "Hey, I'm Rob from 2023." Listen to me, Rob from 1997, or insert whatever year. You need to develop relationships. Could he have heard it? Even you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Or does it take that maturity and wisdom? That's the part that's so tough. It's it's great. And I hope people very young take to heart what he is saying and apply it. But I I don't know. It's almost like you have to experience the, the downfall of, of make the mistakes to learn it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I
0: mean, I would say probably if I were trying to talk to myself, I, I wouldn't listen. Can I, I mean, you're right on. I got promoted in 97. So and I can't oh, remember yeah. I was like 20. 26 years old when i got
1: 26 and probably knew everything about the world oh dude
0: (laughs) i I, if i could have wrote a book written a book or whatever um but yeah i i think what it would have taken is a really strong leader um that would grab me and probably would have to just club me right you know really just like get me and just really get me to recognize it and and you know i've often thought like i i grew up in in this in the you know, the greater Seattle area when I was a kid. And you know, it goes back to like, when I wanted to be a firefighter, I was, I was five years old. I remember my first visit to, to Station 21 in Greenwood in, in Seattle. But the whole, the whole time, I mean, I always wanted to be a firefighter. The whole time, I always thought I was going to be a Seattle firefighter. I always thought that I was going to be a, a, an urban style firefighter. I wanted to be that style. Well, it didn't happen. I got into a really small department. I was in suburban, um, you know, in a suburban department. And and I think if if I would have been in the urban department, it probably would have been a lot different. But I believe, be it that it's, you know, you believe in, in God or you believe in religion or, but things happen for a reason. And I believe I was destined to be where I'm at so that I can be a connection for um, lessons learned. You know, I'm coming out of my career, but lessons learned, and and just the idea that um, trying to show other firefighters that you don't have to be from some big city fire department to be good at your job. Assuming that some people think that I'm pretty good at my job, right? But y- you don't have to be from the big city fire department to teach and be good at your job. That you can you can be a student of the game, and you can you know you can you can be good, and you can you can share information and help motivate others like you. Which there's Way more people like me, or way more firefighters like me, than there are big uh, urban, busy firefighters.
1: Love it, man! Thank you for the question, JD. Love the answer, absolutely love it. Um, Jared Throneberry, it's right, it's right in that. So I want to throw this at you. Jared Thronberry says, Rob, when building relationships, what's your main staple for establishing those relationships? What's your go-to skill, so to speak? <laughs> Well, what I'm working on now or what I've
0: been working on the last handful of years and which is it's kind of funny that we did the nine L's together. But what I've always been working on, I think it's a it's a it's a skill that everybody has to work on is is listening. So I think that when you're going to try to build a relationship and this is a challenge that we have, my, you know, Jody and I have talked about this. Uh, You and I have talked about this. When you get paid to teach or to talk, they hire you to come in and lecture and you're constantly lecturing it kind of programs you to be more of a talker than a listener and it's it takes a conscious effort to to listen and so i think the the biggest thing that you can do in developing relationships is just keep your mouth shut you know simple introduction tell me a little bit about yourself start learning people and then really listen to them Mm. and um and and then you've got to be consistent you got to you got to be genuine. You got to come at them and, and, um, you got to care about them. Um, I can't remember the exact saying that, um, commander Mooney said when, when I was going to the LAFD leadership Academy, commander Mooney was uh, the one that crashed the U S submarine and caused, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in the submarine. He was, he was let go of his duties as a, as a Marine, or I'm sorry, as a submarine commander. And, uh, and he tells this whole story, but one of the things he talked about is you got to be at every funeral, every wedding, and every child, every born child of your crew. And that those are the important things, important dates. And as a good leader, you're always there and you're always remembering those with your your, your members because they're going to remember the fact that you acknowledge them on their wedding. You acknowledge them when they had their their first child and and you were there for them when they lost their parent or whatever it is. And and those are the key. So that's being genuine. That's that's caring about your people and and showing them that you care and and being there for them constantly. So that's what
1: I do to help develop those relationships. Boom, I love it, man. I do love it. And that's what that's what cracks me up is you talk about how how um, you're not a good listener. You're like well, I don't know why you had me on for the 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 third L or the second L. Which I, yeah, I get my L's mixed up. Why would you have me on for listening? And because you're one of my favorite people to talk to because you listen so well. I can bounce so many ideas off of you. You're such a good sounding board. Jody, I, I, you, know I know my wife's
0: watching right now, which, hey, honey, I love you. She's in Vegas. I'm up here in Washington. But um, she, Jody, hopefully you're hearing you know, <laughs> what Corley's man, saying. Man, Corley's. Corley's yeah, I appreciate well, it, man. I'll, I'll give you five bucks later.
1: No, I even called you the other day because I'm working on this new class for firemanship. It's the, the Culture Forge, and I'm excited about it. I'm very pumped. But I called you and said, dude, I got to run this by – I need to run by everything I'm thinking about for this, and I need to sound it off you. You know what I'm saying? Because you are a phenomenal sounding board. I so I, I, I know I'm just complimenting you right now. But no, uh, one thing you said to, to bring up, and I want to talk about it, which is you got to catch one of my classes, the 9Ls, and – Afterwards, you gave me some of the most candid feedback I've ever received. Mind you, you you asked. I did. What? No, hundred percent. Okay, I was just like,
0: I just, I wasn't like, hey, Corley, let me give you some. Uh, Here's the deal, some- buddy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm like- always after feedback, always. And I'm telling you this. And I, I tell every, I love when people tell me how great the class is. I love when people say it's a great class, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, when people tell you it's great, it's worthless. Yeah it feels good. Don't get me wrong. And I, and please do not take this in a way that I don't want to hear people say it's a great class. Okay. So please keep saying that. But uh, when you're after feedback, man, you need, this is the part that sucked. This is the part that uh, wore me out. This is the part that I thought drug on too long. This is, you know, all of those things. Phenomenal. Let me
0: let me, Go ahead. Let me just say, if, if you want to tell Corley or any one of us or anybody that's teaching, that's a great class. Don't just say that's a great class. It's it's like with anything, if you're going to give them negative feedback, like Corley, I think you have too much going on in your class. And here's the reason why. And here's how it affected me and why I can tell you why I think this is, you know, you're too much action in your class. Well, you should do the exact same thing when you're giving somebody positive feedback. You're like, I think your class is great because you covered this, because you address these things. And it associates with issues that I'm dealing with in my life or my my professional life, so um because you're right I mean it's like when we talk about uh, when we were talking about the listening and everything and and I always say i I use the word awesome and you use you know you use hundred <laughs> percent right and and those become those becomes things that we do that are just like it's white just, noise like it's a white noise, but it's it's just it's it's a response just like almost a you know um, um a reflex style response. Yeah that you just fill the space up when in reality, you know, I do think a lot of those things are something other than awesome, phenomenal, great, you know, right. all that. But you've got to put something behind it. You can't just say, "Hey, that was a great class," you know. It's like back it up with something.
1: No, and worthless is not the right way to say. It's it's worthless as feedback. It's awesome to hear. It's a great compliment. It is a it is phenomenal uh to be, boost the ego boost the uh Feel good. You know what I'm saying? But as far yeah. as feedback goes and as far as making it better, it's worth about 10% of a, of a candid, honest – I don't want to just say just negative because you're not just looking for negative for yeah. negative sake, but constructive criticism.
0: Yeah, I, and, and let me let me. Uh, – I'll back up again. Okay. I, I got to have lunch with a, a good buddy and, and somebody that uh, I've known for a long time and used to work for our department, and he moved on. And uh, he comments a lot on my posts. Uh, on Facebook when I'm, I'm talking about leadership stuff. And so we met for lunch to discuss, um, uh, discuss retention and, uh, recruiting challenges in the fire service and, in different perspectives. And one of the things he said, which goes ties to, you know, giving people feedback is overflattery is, 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 is terrible. It's a, it's a bad trait to have because it's, it makes you disingenuous, disingenuous or dis. Just genuine, yeah. I guess the word would be. Disingenuous. Just hey, ingenuous, just ingenuous. We can't even say it, but yeah, not genuine. How's that? Right. Okay, inauthentic, inauthentic. Yeah, make it worth. Yeah, but 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 the problem is, is that when you overflatter, it, it really turns, I mean, initially it's like, hey, thank you, and then you start going, there's something wrong with this individual, right? This is this is not right. This shouldn't be this way. You know, they shouldn't like me that much or like this that much. And then now they're they're not genuine at all. Right. And, and then you should be able to read through that.
1: No, no. And and one thing to say, because uh, Michael Ramirez posted this and he said, how do you do that without coming off as a know-it-all? And it's a great it's a great point because me and Rob have a great relationship. And and it ties right back into what Rob was talking about earlier relationship. So he can come up and tell me anything. And I know he's doing it to, to make me better, not because. And so the relationship has to be there to be able to give candid. So I guess that is a solid point. You yeah. can't just go up and give people negative criticism when they don't know you.
0: Yeah. You know, Unless when you, you've developed a good relationship with somebody, it's like uh, spouses. You should be able to give great feedback to your spouse on things. You should be able to talk to him about anything, anything. And you know that sometimes it's going to piss them off. Right. And sometimes it's going to make them super happy. But because of your relationship with them, it's the right thing to do. You know, and, and they should be able to understand where you're coming from versus right. just meeting somebody for the first time. and going, Wow, that was such a great class, which you could say that. But to be able to give somebody negative feedback and and you don't even know them is like it's, it's all based on a relation. I mean, relationships is the key for just about everything that we're talking about in the fire service, because if the, the biggest challenge we have in the fire service is dealing with people. That's it. Be it. That it's our own people or the people that we're serving. That is the greatest challenge that we deal with. And so if you don't have good relationships, the ones that you can develop with uh, those that you're working with,
1: then it's just going to be more of a challenge. I love it. And Dirk Janiak said 100% great class. The only thing that would have made it a better comment was if he said 100% awesome, great class. <laughs> Got all the catchphrases in well, I think, you're, um, I think your class is awesome, but it's, it just runs. A, it's pretty fast for me. I was, but, it is a fast pace it, yeah. again. I, I, and I appreciate the feedback. I love the feedback. I work on, uh, I worked on a ladder truck,
0: so I got to go a little slower for me.
1: I reference. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> John Shackelford coming at you said, what's the most important skill for a new officer when light staffed? When
0: light staffed. <clears throat> Well, accept the fact that you're light staffed and and I think sit down and with your limited staffing crews and figure out, you know, what's the most effective way we can do things. Um, look to the bigger departments for how they do things because it makes them efficient, but realize, which is probably one of the lessons that I've learned, realize that you can't implement the way they're doing things. It just, just isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, train every day. I mean, that's, if there's i i don't train every day i mean i'd be lying to you if i said i trained every day i tried to train i mean back in the day i trained every day i trained mm-hmm. sometimes multiple times in a day but here in the later parts of my career um and not just because i'm a battalion because i think battalions one of their one of the things that they detach themselves from their crews too easily and they're too administrative that the, the Quality of a good BC is a BC that's out training with their crews on a regular basis. It doesn't mean that they have to do all the training, but they should be out there while they're training so that they know what the capabilities of the crews are and they know um, what the fire ground tempo is going to be. So depending on if it's from the perspective of BC, you need to be out there. So you know what your limited crews can do and how quickly they can do things. If it's from the company officer perspective and you got, well, if I'm talking, if you're talking about limited, if it's less than three, you and the other you and your other firefighter um have to work train together every single day and um you know I, I I guess that's all I would say is just regular training to make sure that that you guys know what you're capable of doing um if you're gonna sit back and go man we'll just cross that bridge when we get there it ain't yeah. gonna happen you're gonna you're gonna have your asses handed to you so
1: and and to bring it full circle I don't think anything Forges a stronger relationship than shared hardship, like shared struggle through through rigorous training, sweat and blood, sweat that's and blood it, together, dude. You, I mean, I, I just think back. Well,
0: you could look at you can look at any of of battles, wars, anything, and the brother and sisterhood that's brought together of units that had um had battled together and bled and sweat and everything else. Same thing in the fireground. When you bleed and sweat together training and, and you do it on the on the fires and you go through some serious shit, which we do in our profession, um, it's
1: only going to pull you guys and gals closer together. Love it. Cameron Cooper coming at you. He's right here in Oklahoma. My young brother. He says, "What, Rob, what is your standard staffing on truck and engine companies? And do you have established roles slash jobs for those riding? Example, like the FDNY having the Irons man. Yeah. We...
0: So in my region, um, outside of the city of Seattle and maybe the Spokane city of Spokane city of Seattle has four man minimum staffing across the board, all engines and trucks. But in my region, in my County, three person staffing is what you see on the trucks. On occasion, you will have a fourth on the ladder. And one of the things that was unique back when I was working on a ladder truck, because we were fire based DMS, um, our transport be it, it was a medic unit or a BLS unit. It all, it changed over the years. The two on the EMS unit were part attached to the ladder truck. So we would have a three person ladder company, two person EMS unit. And when we would go to fires, we would go together as a kind of, you know, I don't want to call it a light force, which was a LAFD term, but we would go together paired right? and they would function as the two person inside team, which would do the primary search. And we would function as all the outside stuff. So we took care of ground ladders and, and vertical ventilation. So our staffing was three. And we did one of the first things we did early on um, in developing our truck company operation culture was tool and job assignments is the way we called it. But some people call it, uh, you know, your assigned uh, job or whatever it may be. But we had tool and job assignments. So it breaks down real quickly um for the specific jobs that we were going on so if we were going to be going to a smoke in the building this is what you carried if we were going to um a working structure fire in a dwelling this is what and we were going to do vertical ventilation this is what we did so it broke it all down and the cool thing back in 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 that time period is we were transitioning from firefighters having to be told by the company officer i should say firefighters being told by company officers when to get their mask on, when to grab, what to grab, all those things. And we were trying to streamline this system and go, these firefighters are smarter than we give them credit for. They can figure out that we're going, if if I say, hey, we're going to the roof for ventilation, my firefighters should quickly be able to memorize what equipment is required when we do vertical ventilation. So we had cheat sheets on the ladder truck. Most of them, well, everybody had them all memorized, but
1: yeah. More autonomy more more responsibility more empowerment do you think uh, on the individual yeah okay
0: okay it, and it's just it's perfect for leadership because when they then uh, start testing for or when they get their checkoffs for a driver or their checkoff for a company officer they've now been through making decisions on their own and, and knowing when to do it I mean that's just it made them a lot better leader down the road versus always being told what to do and then one day all of a sudden you're telling everybody what to do and it just is, it's a different, a different way to approach it. And I think it's a really good way to, to do it. Strong. We even went, we went as, as far as making tool and job assignments for the engine companies and they're, they're still in, in effect today. And I think we started them probably
1: 22 years
0: ago. And oh, wow. Oh, they're wow. Still,
1: they're still around. Yeah. That's awesome. Um Scott Hope Jr. asks, you get assigned a new crew member. This is very specific here. You get assigned a new crew member to your truck company that has a pathological fear of heights. How do you address this as the company officer and from a standard leadership perspective? No soft tosses. I don't need (laughs) it. They have a fear of heights? Pathological, apparently. Yeah.
0: Wow. I wasn't expecting a question like that. I I was
1: not either. I, I, I got halfway through it and I'm like, oh, boy, have fun, Rob. It would be,
0: (laughs) okay, okay, let me just, just say, just kind of answer it. So I'm kind of giving myself a little bit more time to think about this, um, from my region, the way when they all go to the Academy together, there's plenty of things that they're doing that this would be addressed at the fire Academy probably before they're even assigned to the crew Mm -hmm. and a fear of heights is probably a pretty hard thing to have in being a firefighter. Um, it would be like, hey, I don't do really well with blood and vomit and right. all this other stuff. So if you if you can't palate that, then you will have a hard time in this profession and, and it will be very, very difficult on you. So um, so I would think that it would be resolved. I can only speak for my region. It would be resolved probably in the time period that they're at the academy and they're transitioning to being a probie in our department. But if they made it through all of that and never gotten recognized and now they're coming to my company, I'd have a first, I'd, I'd be 100% honest with them. This is going to be very difficult for you mm-hmm. and that um, we need to get you over this because this is just not going to work. Right. And I can, I can do what a lot of company officers would do, try to pass you off to somebody else and just sweep it under the carpet, or we can address it and try to take care of it. And I can coach them through, you know, I think, I mean, I know that you said pathological, but I think most fears can be faced right. and can be learned, you know, you can learn to deal with them and manage them. And, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you when, in my day of being a ladder truck, it, I was like, I could climb up the ladder real quickly and jump on the roof and run all around. And I felt really good. Well, probably a few years ago, the crews were training and, Hey chief, come on up here. And I go to climb the ladder. I'm like, Whoa. And I get on the roof. I'm like, Oh, is this should you know, like you lose a little bit. And when you're not there, you you know, you start your senses start coming back to like, this is not a good place to be. Whereas I desensitize those when I was regularly on roofs. So I, I think you can, you can work with the individual and I would spend the time and, and if they've made it through probation and they're still in our department, then they're worthwhile. And, uh, and it would be worth the time for me to work with them. And, but I would be very straightforward and honest with them if we can't figure this out i'm i'm gonna probably make a recommendation that you would
1: need to figure out another career another career no and that's and and that's what i would want to tack on to rob's beautiful answer which is if if you have a standard that they need to operate at a certain level then they need to operate at that level and if they can't hopefully you can coach them to that point mentor them and get past whatever difficulties and uh overcome (laughs) those things but if they cannot the standard's the standard, and that's it. That is it. That is it. All right. Good answer. Great answer, Rob. Um, Eddie Ivy wants to know: Talking search, what was your approach to teaching fresh from academy firefighters? Skills you prioritized, scenarios you put them in, etc. Ooh, at, at the academy is that at what the it, academy? Fresh,
0: fresh, fresh at the academy. At skills, I would say, and and you know, and I, I was never, um, again, I'll, I'll back, I'll, I'll back up my, what I said earlier is like, we were as a ladder company, we spent a lot, a lot of the time doing vertical ventilation ground ladder work because we had others that were doing search and I felt pretty good about search. I work for, or I, I teach with brothers in battle, which is a pretty serious about search. And, oh yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm comfortable with it, but I think that um, at the Academy, we probably spent a lot of time on, on skill acquisition and, and working on those. Um, but towards the end of the Academy, I mean, uh, one thing I'm really proud about my County and, and our, our fire Academy and those that are teaching at it and, and, uh, is that we transition those, those, um, recruits into thinking on their own down the road. And so they're having to make decisions on their own. Um, and and everything can be broke down. I mean, like, uh, when, when is it good to enter the room? I mean, that's a skill. It, even though it's, it's a decision that you got to make, but should we enter that room or not? Is it defensive search? Is it, is it, uh, should I shut the door? Should I do these things? And like, that's all skill stuff. Um, whereas the company officer or probably the more senior individual is the ones like, Um, well, I, I would go as far as saying the recruits should be able to determine where they should be searching first. And so that's not really that big of a deal, but maybe trying to do search ahead of the line, um, uh, you know, VES isn't that big of a deal. I know some people have a cow about it, especially in our region, at least a few decades ago, it was like unheard of doing VES and now it's more popular, but, um, I think searching ahead of the hose line, which I do know, I still owe you an article buddy. Uh searching ahead of the hose line uh, without or searching without a hose line in the building or at least on your floor can be a little bit challenging. It, it needs a little bit more experience to be able to do that. But just at the academy, we pro-
1: I would say we probably spend 80 percent of the time in skill uh, work. Love it. No. And I was going to I was going to pick a random name on here and say so and so wants to know when is that article going to be finished? Uh, hey, let me give let, let me give
0: some <laughs> context to this. Uh, I, I, and I'm, this is, this is a bad part of Rob Fisher here is, uh, I was asked by Corley to help him out with an article for, uh, something, a project he's working on. And, uh, I said, yes, I'm all in. And then we jokingly talked about, man, can you, you know, it just is so hard sometimes when, when individuals don't follow through and finish up on their end. I'm like, I know I hate those individuals. The article was due. If I remember correctly, the 15th of November, (laughs) And I still haven't turned it in. So I am that individual. And, uh, That's I'm just, no. I've, I'm just I've, glad
1: I've, you, the project is so big that you're just, you're not to the point. I haven't been you- able to get my arms around it. So you're fine. You're in the, you're in the mask. Cause it's, it's huge. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It is um, going to be awesome. What was I going to say? There was something. Um, <laughs> I threw you off. I love it. Completely a squirrel. Uh, you know, we're at almost an hour in this. We've only, <laughs> we got to two questions we had planned. Uh, I like this one though. This one, this comes from dirt. Janiac, uh, firefighters are generally hesitant to give constructive criticism when asked, how can you get honest feedback? And that's a great question. That really is a great question. Um, well, Dirk, go ahead. I was just going to dirt. It's good. Um, thank you for, thank you for, uh, you know,
0: logging in and listening to this, uh, We've talked over the years and he's part of, he's part of the fools. And so it's, it's great to, to hear from, um, he's very active on the scraps always. Oh, good. Good. So, <laughs> well, one it's, it's again, it goes back to establishing relationships and yeah, you know, it's just to, to get the feedback and it, without the relationship and, and developing that it, it makes it really difficult. So
1: I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious. What do you think? Well, me and you
0: asked, you asked ask me all the questions. No, no,
1: I know. But me and you were on the phone the other night. Cause we were talking about this scrap and, and I said, I just read a brief, I'm doing the whole, all the research for the culture forge. And I was reading the books on Netflix culture, you know, and they did a thing with a uh, anonymous uh, feedback form that you could, you could give feedback to your boss, you know, and, but it was anonymous oh. and, and Reed Hastings, the, the, the CEO was like, if the only way you can be honest is, To to hide your name to be, if the only way you can be honest is to be anonymous, there's something wrong. Yeah, and I think that's the big reason why people can't give uh, honest feedback is because there's repercussions. There are uh, vindictiveness. You know, they're afraid of harming their career, harming their uh, promotional. uh, And so that's a cultural issue. If you can't get good candid feedback, there's a systemic problem. And and so that's that's a very 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 broad topic.
0: Let me, let me build off of that. Just, just a hair. And uh, I know I, I I'm not going to do a bunch of name dropping, but Brian keys, you better be still watching this. I was talking with him earlier today and, and this kind of is a topic that comes up and I'm like, well, I think the reason why I struggle at moving above battalion and I will say I had a struggle getting into battalion and that's not be It was just like the, the my bosses were going, I don't know if we want this guy there. Right. Is that, um, fortunately and unfortunately, I'm too honest and I'm too direct. And that has a heart, it, it's hard on people. And, and I will, I own some of it because I should be able to, you know, if we use emotional intelligence, which Kurt always talks about. And, you know, I love it when Kurt says, I, I, I'm working on my emotional intelligence. <laughs> but, um, one of Great the, pillars, hurt, by the way, thank you. I've been, been with them a lot. So I, I, I know how to, but, um, one of the things is, is the, be, your ability to be able to, um, evaluate other people's emotions and to be able to evaluate other people. That's, and it's a general, I'm using it as a general, one of the, Sure, pillars. sure. but, um, if you can't read people and understand people, then you're really going to have a hard time. And that's, you know, one of the things like, I can't just, I can't that, look, I'm going to tell it to you straight that again, that goes back to me just punching people in the face or, you know, being 100 pounds of pressure, 100% of the time, it does not work. And, uh, so if you're going to develop relationships and you're going to be honest with people about things through the, you know, and I know this was anonymous stuff, but if you have to be anonymous about what you're saying, I, I really, I struggle with that. I don't think that's that's not a, a good culture. And I will, I will always have a problem with that. And, um and that's, it's got me in a lot of trouble. And it's, I think it help it prevents me or, yeah, it prevents me from moving up to, to higher ranks than where I'm at, because I'm, I'm like a no bullshit type of person. You can ask anybody I work with. And, uh, and sometimes I tell the wrong people what I believe and why. And, um, and I don't recognize the fact that, Hey Rob, this is probably you shouldn't have even said that. This is probably a time you should shut yes. up. And I right. just I double down and right. I'm like, right. oh, you didn't like that? Let me give you some more. Here's shit. Here's some more. Eat here. this. yeah. Eat this. Eat this. <laughs> you
1: know, choke on this one. And no. um, and it's tough. And and we we like I said, I, I'm going to tell a quick story here. I'll try to make it quick because I don't want to derail your scrap. The um, I did a uh, and the vigilantes know this because I shared the story with the vigilantes. But uh, I did a I did it recently. I adopted Eric Lang, Biscayne County. He, he sent me a thing on humil- honesty, humility, trust, uh, HHT. Man, I'm getting it wrong. So it oh, was cool. a it was a really cool evaluation process you could use. I wanted to use it for my company officers to evaluate each other. But before I ran it out blind, I wanted everybody on my shift or my battalion to use it on me, right? And I sent it out to him. It was anonymous because, I uh, again, I said, hey, you don't have to put your name on it or anything. Just let me know what you think of how things are going because I need feedback, right? Um, be careful if you do that because you're going to get feedback. And I'm telling you, when I got the feedback, my defenses were firing. When people told me stuff, I mean, they could rate you on a scale of 1 to 7, okay? And some of my people rated me a 1.5 and a 2 on some of these things that you could be rated on, okay? And so I, my, my defenses were like, what? What is what do, they do, they they not, do they not know me? Yeah, do they, what did they give that guy over there? I'm <laughs> telling you. And it was like, uh, and I really had to step back and look in the mirror. And, and, and this is the part I wanted to make the point about was what the coolest part was. The people that rated me the lowest, even though it was anonymous, they signed their names. And it wasn't in a vindictive, like this is how I feel. Sign my name. And this is, it wasn't like that kind of way. It wasn't rebellious or anything. They actually signed their name and said, if you want to, if you want more information or more feedback on this, please reach out. And I, you know, after getting over my initial defensive shock, I actually got to call them and say, thank you for being so honest. And actually had good, super productive conversations about it. So um, I don't know the point on that about the anonymity and the uh, like, if you actually give people the ability to do so, they can be very, very, very constructive and they will sign their name to it is my, was the whole takeaway, uh, depending on if they feel like they're going to get punished. But anyway, so
0: well, it comes down to likelihood is that, uh, too many leaders would, uh, be it that it's punish or vindictive. come off or yeah. vindictive. Unitive, all this case, yes. Too many leaders do it. I mean, I, I don't know what, you know, if I were to give it a number, I would probably say it's it's at least 70% of the leaders that are out there, you know, or more, they struggle with feedback. They struggle. And and so you've got to be, you got to give it with, you know, like, I'm just giving you uh, these things and then back up. I mean, right now my department is doing a uh, survey on a bunch of stuff. And this is the third time we've done it. And the second time we did it, there was a lot of really harsh comments that were made. And, um, you know, the problem is that when you make things personal and attack people, you're not going to get very far with things. But be listening. You know, if you're in a leadership role and and you have a hard time with feedback or you have a hard time with people being honest with you, I, I, you probably should figure out doing something else because that is what leader is leading is all about and you better have some thick skin. You better be comfortable being criticized. You better be comfortable being questioned. You know, all of those things. If you can't do that, you're going to have some challenges of being a leader. Now the challenges is just like, you just turn around and just say, this is, this is what I'm doing and how I'm going to do it. And you don't take any feedback at all. And then guess where you're at, right? You're at a place where everybody is going to give you poor feedback. They're going to be very personal with it. And they're not going to They're not going to put their names to it because they don't want to be, they don't want to have you attack them.
1: Well, they can't afford it. Yeah, honestly, their careers can't afford it. In a perfect world, we should be able to have
0: conversation and I should be able to say, you know, Corley, I don't like the fact that you don't wear shorts. Right. You know, when we're out at the beach, it is weird. When we're out at the beach, (laughs) you should be in shorts, not pants. You're the only person I know that wears pants to the beach.
1: Look, my legs have to be protected by a thin sheet (laughs) of fabric of some sort, okay? But I can tell you that because we have a relationship. Right. No doubt about it. Believe no. me. It's weird. We're um, going to be a relationship. Aspect. I also can't stand next to a bed for any length of time. Like, I have to jump in the bed because there might be something under there that's going to grab my feet. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a, that's a real thing. Okay. All right. Amanda's got to work on some things for you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, where were we at? Uh, Dirk completely derailed the scrap with that current question on constructive <laughs> criticism. Uh, there was another point I was going to make, but it's gone poof to the wind. Uh, I love it. What is the most important core value? This comes from Joe Gavita. The most important core value you have carried with you. I, I, man, I'm going to leave that one alone, Joe, because that's too close to the five questions. So we're not even, <laughs> even going to touch that one. I, I cut it off midway. Uh, what is your advice? I got a couple questions coming at you in this regard. What is your advice on motivating a crew to train on basic skills, like pulling a hand line, throwing a ladder, forcing a door as a new guy? My advice? How do you keep well, them motivated all for of, the basics?
0: All of my um, mentors or those that I looked up to and that were great in their profession. They would always say, you know, be good at the fundamentals, be good at the basics. And, and a lot of that stuff is, is, is being good at the basics and, and we'll just use masking up. Um, I did a podcast the other day and I think I talked about masking up as well, but, uh, masking up. And if you're not good at the basics, it takes you forever to mask up. An example, when I was in the training division, we used to back in the day, we would like, uh, time everybody quarterly on their pack time. So how quickly you can put their pack on it was, the state standard was one minute, and the partner was five seconds, and so everybody would just like, and and we would do it in an unrealistic environment. You would lay out your pack perfectly on the bay floor, you know, everything's ready to go, and you would put on your pack. and Guys could throw their packs on and their mask, everything. Time, time. Right. They could do it in. They could do it in twenty five seconds. Right. So then, um it became real popular to start. Hey, just, just mask up, go from standby. You know, you're on the fire ground, you're standing at the front of the building, you know, Hey, more, we need you to go in, put your mask on your face. How quickly does it take you? So a lot of these guys that were doing 25 second mask up times, we're doing 25 second, I'm sorry, 25 second SCBA times. We're doing 25 second mask up times. I'm like, how is that possible? You can put your entire pack on, right? in 25 seconds but you can't just put your mask on your face in 25 seconds and um and and that goes into like we do things in cycles and you get it and when i take you out of a cycle and i put you into one piece it's 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 hard to do but really what it comes down to is if you can do the basics like masking up and you just do it over and over again then as long as you do it on a regular basis it will be easy for you to do things. It's no effort whatsoever. It allows for you to be able I guess the thing that would tell you is, is if you do the basics over and over again, throwing a ground ladder, stretching a hose line, masking up just those things. And you do it over and over, it becomes second nature, you know, cliche to say that, but what it allows for you to do is it allows for your brain to be able to do other things. Frees up that bandwidth. Yep. Creates more bandwidth. Right. And so Now you start to see the fire. You start to hear other things. You start to do all this because your body is not thinking about how do I stretch the line? Am I grabbing it just right? Am I doing this just right? And and then I would bet, you know, if you're really into the job or crews are say like, do you think the football team for, you know, right now the national championship is going to be Michigan and Washington uh, Huskies. And do you think those two teams that are right now considered to be the best in the nation, You know, are they – is the pass plays, are they doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over? Yes, and these guys have been playing football since they were probably 10 years old, and they're in their 20s. And these receivers are probably catch – have caught hundreds of thousands of passes, and they're still doing it over and over again. And it's just so they can create their ability to be able to just make it, you know – it's just autonomous, and it's just it, nothing they have to think about. So, how I would do it is I would use I would use those as an example, and um, and I would just push that that understanding the basics, being good at the basics and fundamentals will will basically make you better at everything else down the road.
1: Beautiful yeah. yeah. man, no, is I love it. <laughs> I think it's a phenomenal answer, man. I think it's a phenomenal answer. It's the answer I would. Uh, that's why I love you. That's why I love you. Um, a bad leader will destroy a good team
0: oh, so
1: yeah, he posted that today on Facebook, and that's why yeah you, that you posted i wanted to. Bring, i wanted to throw some stuff at you,
0: yeah, um man, I've been on this i have I've had a really rough couple of years and um and some of it is everything that we've been talking about and some mistakes that I've made in developing relationships a mistake I made about being too critical and not being able to evaluate the people I'm being critical with. And I mean, just it go, the list goes on and on. And, I, and I, I don't want to come off as I work for, a, you know, a screwed up fire department and I'm the greatest and they just don't recognize it. I do think I'm pretty good. I do think that I'm dedicated to the our profession, but I've made my my mistakes. But the the last few years, at least the last year, I've been very critical of leadership and I've been spending a lot more time in trying to understand leadership. And, you know, Frank posted this out. And I'm just like, this is, I mean, it's an easy statement, but bad leaders destroy good organizations and uh, Chief Rhodes, uh, Dina Ali, you know, Dina Dina wrote an article about how you know, a lot of our challenges with mental health is because poor leadership and some of the challenges that we have with leadership. Well, when I read that article, I'm like, Oh my God, this is great. Yes. But is it really this? And then getting backed up by chief Rhodes and something's like, it makes a lot of sense. And when you think about what a leader does is a leader is not only um, effective for the organization to get things done, but a leader has an impact in the people that are working for them. Right. And so the decisions I make as a leader, how I handle my people, how I handle has an impact on my people. And when I'm a shithead, when I'm, you know, not 100% being Rob Fisher, there's a negative impact to that. And it really does erode, uh, an an organization. I mean, I'll start off with the company. And if you don't, I mean, I'm going to tie it right back to relationships if you don't have a good relationship and you haven't, you know, created um, uh, credits, so relationship credits, earn those credits with your people so that you can have a day that you fuck up. Hopefully, right. you guys don't have any problem with that. If you haven't worked on that and you haven't created a, a credit, then it just doesn't work for you. And so, relationships is the key here. And and when you're you're sour on your relationships and you're and you're just not a good leader, you're going to destroy the organization.
1: I love it, man. <laughs> Dude, great, great answer. Uh, I want to get this one in here. William Seeley wants to know Chief, how do you deal with it when you are the type of person that is a straight shooter and it makes you the a hole? My department is all about being the popular guy versus the person that calls out the BS. Yeah, nothing that's but, <laughs> nothing but soft tosses. <laughs> yeah. Hey.
0: Um, you know, I wish Frank Vescusa was on with us because I would I would turn this over to Frank. He's got a lot more experience in this stuff. I God, you know, the the problem is is uh you really gotta evaluate, you know, maybe spend a little bit more time understanding emotional intelligence. And I know mm-hmm. I brought it up, but so you can understand the environment that you're in because you know, one of the other pillars of emotional intelligence is understanding the the social aspect of things. So you, you can evaluate your social surroundings and how you have impact with the er, surroundings and, and how it impacts you. So uh, I would, I would spend a little bit of time studying um, emotional intelligence and, and and having a good grasp of that so that, you know, the situations that you're in, because there's extremes in things and never does one extreme. Is it better than the other? And I can say, look, if, if I'm, I mean, here's the one thing that's nice about being a straight shooter and, and no BS is everybody can read you like a book, but sometimes the book sucks, right? <laughs> and so just because they can read you like a book, you're like, you know what, I'm not going to read this book. And that's the problem. And so you want to be a book that's worth reading. Ooh. And and if that's the case, you've got to appeal to your audience. And and uh, those who know me know that I don't appeal to my audience very well and I'm very critical of a lot of a a lot of the of my audience I guess and um and but I try to get better at it I'm not good at it I could be way better at it so I think that uh you 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 just have to learn how you can give that you know no bs uh feedback and uh and be a straight shooter um and it goes back to and again, this gets brought up. Kurt brings it up. You know, a few people ring. I was like, oh, Rob's, Rob Fisher's 10 pounds of pressure, 100%. I want to go on record. I know I've said it before. I was going to bring it up, but go ahead. But I didn't I didn't come up with this. I, I stole, I don't want to even say I stole it. I learned it from a guy by the name of Andy Spire, who was a, you know, he worked in a neighboring department to mine and he came from FDNY. A little short Jewish guy. And I love him. And we had a great time together, but he was tenacious. He was, he was a pit bull with people, but he would always say, Rob, you got to make sure it's only 10 pounds of pressure 100% of the time because when you do the reverse, 100 pounds of pressure 10% of the time is like punching somebody in the face. You're not going to get stuff done. And if you want to get movement on things, you've got to be able to evaluate how much can they handle and be able to push just enough it's uh for those well i mean they're today's generation don't know how to probably don't know how to use a clutch unless you're riding motorcycles but um the way you the way you get the car moving with the clutch is you got to give a little bit and a little bit of gas and it's a balance between the two a little too much on either end and You know, you're going to stall stall it. You're
1: you're making some horrendous noises.
0: (laughs) It doesn't look good. Now, this is that's for all the old guys that uh, drove sticks back when, you know, when we were in high school and stuff.
1: Love it, man. Dude, that was a phenomenal answer. I love it. I've had to time stamp it. Phenomenal. Awesome. 100%. 100%. No, uh, uh, be a book that's worth reading. That is such a, like, I love that answer because sometimes the book does suck. Yeah. And, and the book is true, but that doesn't mean that people want to hear it. And so, William, I hope uh, you understand that uh, that was, that, I love it, man. Be a book worth reading. And here's the cool part. It comes full circle, going back into big old giant arrows back on each other, goes back to relationship, because yeah. if you have a relationship, then you can give candid and be a straight shooter, and, and that's what it comes down to. And then you can actually be the a-hole that people want to hear from. Because they value what you're saying because of the relationship.
0: Yeah, I, you, I mean, I, two things. One, I would say, I get that be a book worth reading. I'm I'm working on, you know, I'm going to be retiring in a little bit, and I'm working on like if I'm going to have a speech and if I did, what would I say to to these young firefighters? And one of the things that I've I want to say, and one of the things I've learned is like have a story worth telling. Mm. Right. And so that's kind of like where I tie it to the, with the book. And then the other thing is when you look at the importance of relationships, I mean, it just, I just cannot, it, you know, I just cannot emphasize enough how important relationships are. Trust me, I've screwed this up. I have screwed this up in the fire service. And uh, I don't say I'll pay dearly for it because I'm happy with what I'm doing, but I've, you know, I've had, I've had missed opportunities because of issues with relationships but if you look at um the old at you know the old uh idea of the used car salesman, and what does a used car salesman do? They develop the relationship, albeit it's you know, you know disgenuine or disingenuine or whatever the word is, but they work on establishing some type of relationship with you so they can build your trust and your confidence. And when you have a relationship, you, you know, with that starts building trust and confidence in you. So you, when you develop a good relationship, genuine relationship, you're going to be able to build trust and confidence. And with that gives you, you know, gives you that clout, the collateral to be able to have room for making errors. And, uh, you should never be in a situation where you're really good and you've done a lot of building and created a lot of credit in your, and then all of a sudden you make one mistake and you're out. I mean, there's very few things in our profession that should cause you to, to, to lose everything. Right. On. But, but through relationships and through your reputation and all that kind of stuff, it's <laughs> like gives you some room to have, have, you know, poor judgment. And, and not that I'm saying you should always have poor judgment, but, or, you know, it's it, poor judgment is, is good, but you're, you, we're human. We're right. going to make, Poor decisions sometimes, and when you've developed good relationships, you've developed r- trust and and they're genuine relationships. Then you got more,
1: more collateral there, so more to draw on. I love it, man. All right, takeaways from the scrap so far. First of all, uh, you're not allowed to use state abbreviations anymore. You have to spell out the name of the state. Second one is we got to figure out from some English majors or people who just are really good with vocabulary. What what disingenuous or non ingenuous or whatever the proper word is. because that's the other one. And then the final one is if you want more Rob Fisher, because it's amazing stuff, uh, check out Jake Barnes, three point firefighter podcast. He just did it recently. It's amazing. So uh, dude check it out. With all that being said, speaking of uh, a book that's worth reading, chief, books or books that you think firefighters should be reading? How's that for a segue? Uh, okay, so for
0: firefighters, the one book that I would I would recommend firefighters to be reading is uh, Random Thoughts by mm-hmm. Tom Brennan. Um it's an it was so for those that haven't been in this profession long enough, Tom Brennan, probably one of the greatest firefighters in American history from the FDNY. He he was the editor in chief for a period of time for fire engineering, and he had uh random thoughts, which was the back page or pages of fire engineering's magazine. And uh, if you were to ask any firefighter, like of my age or right in that age, they'll tell you the first thing you did when you got your fire engineering magazine is turn to the back pages. Flip the back random thoughts by Tom Brennan. Um, uh, before, well, Bobby Halton and, and fire engineering. Uh, I don't even remember the year, but they basically took uh, Tom Brennan when he passed and, uh, I think right now uh, Mike Chample writes the writes the the back pages. I don't I don't remember if it's called random thoughts. Um, I don't know.
1: I don't I don't know if it is still called
0: I don't know uh, what it's branded, but yeah. But anyway, so they they made a book with all of Tom Brennan's random thoughts over good god. I, I mean, it's got to be 10 15 years worth and uh they're awesome. So for a firefighter, it's a great book and they're also timeless. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it. I mean, we joke, we joke like, uh, well, I don't want to say we joke. We talk a lot as, as cadres is like, look, we're not teaching you anything new. We're just regurgitating it for the next generation right. to understand and to help you apply it to the way that your staffing levels are or whatever it is. But the reality is everything that's in those articles, Tom Brennan experienced in the sixties and the seventies himself, and he wrote them and they're still apply they're still applicable today. So that'd be the book for, um, firefighters, uh, building construction, the art of, uh, reading buildings, uh, Dodson and Mittendorf. Uh, one of the things that I've always been, um, pushing for firefighters is a good understanding of building construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a separator between a good firefighter and a great firefighter. I think it's a separator between, you know, when you're promoting up to being a company officer and, um, you know, I know we get into battles over who's better, the truck or the, the engine, and those are fun little battles. To have, but I would argue that truck officers, if they've gone through a good organization where they've spent some time on an engine and then they, uh, I'll say promote up to the truck because it's a captain or they've moved over to the truck, they're very well-rounded because the truck spends a lot of time or they should be on understanding building construction and being able to dissect the building. and so. um I tell all of our company officers are of getting ready to test for battalion. Like try to get some time on the ladder truck and spend some time working there on, you know, for a few years before you test for battalion, because I think it's going to make you a better battalion. And the big issue is because of building construction. So Mittendorf, Dodson, Art of Reading Buildings, um, most everybody wants, you know, Brannigan's book. Uh, it's a great technical book for college and stuff, but uh, for good reading to be able to pull stuff out right now. Um, uh, the art of reading buildings and then company officers uh, cornerstones and of leadership. Mm-hmm. That's the one that I'm reading right now. Um, I wish I, I, it's almost an excuse to say, I wish I had more time to read, but I just got so many things going on. I just find it really difficult to sit down and, and dedicate the time and I've never been a really good reader. So if I want to read, I really got to dedicate time and effort to it. So I'm just, getting through, um, Lieb's book and I want to have it done by May so that, you know, when he comes and, and teaches, uh, actually I'm going to see him in a couple weeks when we go to ODP, he's going to be at ODP, but, um, uh, Cornerstones of Leadership is probably one of the better ones up there for yeah. the, the newest ones coming out. nine uh, L's if, you know, you, everybody that's on here, has already probably bought the nine L's, but nine L's is a um uh, phenomenal book. Um, awesome book. You know, all the awesome Audible. Audible, specifically the second chapter on the Audible. Uh, audible is great too. Uh <laughs> in fact, going back to meeting and having lunch with my buddy uh Jeremy Stalker spends a lot of time. We we talked about the nine L's and he says, you know, I spent a lot of time uh reading and doing audible audible books on leadership and listening to all the great militaries and all military leaders and everything. And um and the American Fire Service just it's just it's really difficult to like kind of distill it down so that it speaks to the firefighter and and the one thing he said about the nine L's is like that was probably one of the best books in doing so and that uh, you hit the the nail on the head with that so well, nine L's is another great book that I would if you don't have get it and particularly especially listen to the audio chapter two <laughs> uh, chapter two bonus
1: content. Bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you for that. And and uh, Cornerstones of Leadership, phenomenal book by Frank Lee. It just came out this year, or I say this year, last year because yep. we're in a new year. But just just came out recently, and uh, we're getting ready to do a double giveaway. We're going to give away five copies of Nine L's and Cornerstones of Leadership. It's going to be a big – we're getting ready to throw that out there. It's coming up pretty quick. So you, you reminded me of that when you said that, yep. so I wanted to throw it out there. Um, I, wanted, I mean, I wanted to talk some about, like – Leaders Go. and
0: we're our fire chiefs, but I mean, since we're talking about L- Chief Leib, I mean the, he is probably one of those top leaders. And I don't know how we're gonna get into this topic if we're even gonna get into the top. We don't even have to get into the We're topic, getting ready but, to, I guess. Go. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just gonna say he's one of those top leaders that is out there. He's connecting with yes. firefighters. Um he is he is a he's a good he was a good firefighter, or he still is a good firefighter. He's at, at some of the highest level of being a chief officer without being the fire chief. He works in a large organization. So it wasn't easy for him to get up there. Um, he is all of the greatness and, and he came on, he came on like wildfire in the last five years would be my guess. And he's just an all around, I can tell you him and his wife are great. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, just one of the, one of the best. And so, um, I can't say enough of good stuff about Chief Lieb. He spends time with you. He will talk to you. Um, you know, from Rob Fisher from Snonamish County, speaking to Frank Lieb from the FDNY, and is uh, just he's just an awesome, awesome guy. So he's he's quality quality stuff for the American Fire Service, and I hope he's around for a long time,
1: brother. Uh, I'm telling you, I have never been we will sit here and sing Frank Lee's praise for a minute as far as scrap two two six. Uh m- one of my company officers went to uh Pensacola Beach for I think it was one of the first times Frank was there teaching. And it was at the bar in, in in the Hilton, you know what I'm saying? And he did uh the company officer that came from my department did not know who Frank was. You know what I'm saying? But he was like, Man, I met this guy. He's he's achieved something in, in FDA life. He's one of the coolest guys I've ever met. He just treated me like a normal human being. And that's his power, man. He makes everybody feel special. Just,
0: yeah,
1: uh, there is no, uh, it's, 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 it's a
0: power. And he, and it's, and it's about relationships and he's genuine. And so he, he, you got to take time. You have to listen to people. You can't just talk over people and you can't be constantly distracted. I mean, there's one thing that just drives me nuts. And you you and I talked about this is, is like leaders, especially those that are above you and they come to talk to you and they're looking, scanning the room, like who's it, who else is in the room and what's going on and bam, their phone, their phone yeah. goes off and they got to look at the phone. And you're like, frankly, not like that at all. Uh-huh. No, when you, when you're talking with Frank, Lieb, he's looking you, he's looking you in the eyes and he's talking to you and there's a lot of stuff going on. And of course, everybody wants some time with Frank and he just, uh, he's able to, to pull it off, and that's no. It's a, it's a, gift. a, it's a gift. It's a I gift. I want
1: to emulate and steal from him. Is is to make you feel like the center of the universe while he's talking to you. It's yeah. it's powerful, man. It is. It is. Uh, no, you wanted to talk about uh, fire chiefs. Where are the fire chiefs at? You were going to bring it up. I didn't know if you wanted to bring it yeah. up or not.
0: Well, I'm going to use the F word again. Where the fuck are the fire chiefs when it comes to these conferences? I just it just bugs mm-hmm. me, and and going back to like relationships and um, how you develop relationships is like. As a leader, if you're not with your people, how are you to understand what your people, what their needs are, what they're doing? And so, Coralie, you and I, we go to a lot of conferences. And um, can you, I mean, let's just go with the scrap because here's my question to you. How many be above battalion, how many chief officers, so that's division chief, deputy chief, fire chief or whatever, however you guys do How many have been on the scrap?
1: Oh, brother. You put me on the spot. Uh, No, but I would say, because we talked about it a little bit on the phone the other day, because it kind of was the germ of this question. And I would say there's less than 10. Less than Uh, 10. I think there is out out of the 226. And then the first 10 had no guests. So out of 216 with guests, uh, I think less than ten, because I yeah. and I don't want to name names, so I'll leave people out. No, we
0: don't. The, we don't have to lame names. But here, here's my point. Thompson,
1: about, uh, I was going to, I was going to do names, but I was going to try and think. Uh, okay, well, you
0: want me? To, let me give you some names that I remember that are on scrap. That way, if if I forget some, because I'm not watching every single scrap. Right, right. And I'm talking about active chiefs. Sure. You know, Frank Viscuso is retired. He 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 provides a lot of content, and he does a really good job. But I'm talking huge about, mentor. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm talking about active chiefs. Scott Thompson. Correct. Jason Hovelman. Correct.
1: Frank Lieb. Correct. Have you had Dan Shaw on? No. I, I, I need I he's on a list that I need to reach out to and have on. But Okay. Uh I I would say Richard Kelly, OKC's fire chief. He is active and he's getting close to retirement, but very good, okay. very good scrap. I wish I had the I wish I could tell everybody the numbers of the scraps to listen to, because if you haven't listened to Scott Thompson's I know he was 64 because I was just listening to it the other day. Uh, chief Hovellman's uh, just recently, a month ago, two months ago. Holy smokes! Great. I have so many sound bites out of that thing. It is an amazing, amazing scrap. Um, uh, Ryan Walt was on. Ryan Walt. There. Okay, Ryan Walt. It's yes. been a while. Chief it's been Reinwald, a while. Um,
0: my, my, I think. My, my, okay, my, sorry. My,
1: there is. I, 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 I'm going to leave out names. So everybody, <laughs> every chief out there that I, I've had on. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: But my point is, I mean, this is something that Scott uh, Chief Thompson talks about in, in his lectures. And uh, and he 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 basically discusses the fact that, you know, why doesn't he, he he's like, man, I like coming to firefighter conferences. And uh, and it's not just because he can sell books and he can tell his stories of everything. But the way he describes it is like, you know, that when you go to a fire chiefs conference and in your at, at the chief conferences, they're motivated by different things. And um, and he's just like, it's just really hard to fit in there. And, and I get, I, I totally get that when you become fire chief or you become uh, an assistant chief, it's like you've got to go to these conferences that discuss things of, of management, which is things. But I'm telling you, they will say they're talking about managing or I'm sorry, they're talking about leading people and they're this the same individual's. They're all chiefs. They all got to take care of each other and their egos. They all have alphabets after their name. And, and where I struggle is, is like, why aren't our leaders at our conferences? There's so many conferences today that there weren't, you know, years ago when I first started going to conferences, but why don't we see them at the conferences? And if you want to have an impact in firefighter, you know, firefighter lives, and you want to have, you want to create a great organization, I mean, let's just use chief Thompson that's a great organization there. And they, they will do anything for chief Thompson, but he is, he is connected to firefighters, not just in, in the colony, but he's connected across the nation with firefighters. And trust me, he's not doing it to try to sell more books. Right. He, he believes in this stuff. And so, you know, I, and, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot again, because here, I mean, here's the thing is like, if if the chiefs are not going out and going to these conferences, we don't even know who they are. You know, you, you might, I would hope that the department you're working for, you know, who our chief is. And if you're in a large organization, you know, you should know all those, but I think, I mean, can you name, we'll use big departments, FDNY, Chicago, LAFD, Houston, Miami-Dade. Okay. Do you know any of the chiefs of those departments, the fire chiefs?
1: the actual actual fire chief other than the ones that have uh i know some commissioners that have gotten in the news and things like that and then and then some some despised individuals because of uh, But anyway no no i cannot
0: and and i couldn't either and i and i went and i looked it up and I, i don't we don't need to go through the names but when i looked at it the only one that i knew was was lafd's leader or lafd's uh, fire chief Kristen crowley and the only reason why i know her name is that she taught at my my academy my leadership saying, academy when i was at regional, the lafd
1: almost you know more west coast so because i didn't know well, the name
0: it's just i couldn't even tell uh oh i do know who i mean you know, i remember the chief for the lafd but the the point is is that these are the largest organizations in the american right. fire service they probably have the largest impact. I mean, I, I left out uh, LA County. I don't even know who LA County's fire chief is. Right. And they're a big department. Right. But these are the largest organizations in the American fire ser- fire service. And I would bet the majority of firefighters and, and young company officers and chief officers like myself and you couldn't even name their names. Yeah. And, and it's, but I tell you what, we can name football players. We can name military leaders because we're reading their books. Okay. We can yep. name, uh, we can name football coaches, basketball coaches, we can name all of these people but in our own profession we can't name the fire chiefs and that's not necessarily on us. I mean, I, I mean, should a should a firefighter study all the fire chiefs of all the largest organizations? Well, are
1: there fire chiefs we're studying is the next question you have to ask because there are some coaches we're studying. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah.
0: Those fire chiefs haven't written books. They're not They don't have face time, genuine face time, not just make some, you know, not not skittles and rainbows and bullshit, but genuine face time with their people. They're not they're not out there improving the fire. And, and, And to their. I guess. To defend them a little bit, they're in a position where they're they're kind of probably isolated and siloed because they're worried about, well, if I write a book, if I take a position if I make statements, if I go to the wrong conference, sure, my mayor, my elected officials, I'll lose my job. Sure. Whereas somebody like Chief Thompson, I don't want to say he doesn't care what his mayor thinks. He probably has a good relationship with his mayor, but I almost want to say he probably doesn't really care what the mayor thinks. He has a belief system and he, he follows his belief system. So it just, it just, it's a thing that bugs me because Mm -hmm. we don't know, but we know, Football players, <laughs> football coaches. It's a
1: great, it's a great, it's a great uh,
0: question to be discussed. And this, the idea of it came, comes from Josh Matery, uh, who works for Seattle Fire. And he would always, when we teach with Brothers in Battle, and he's not as active as he used to be, but he would always talk about, you know, firefighters. They can know all the data and stats on for their, you know, for their fantasy football team, but they don't give a shit about the stats for firefighting and what we do, which actually saves
1: lives and helps people. And it's just. And I will be, I will, I will i will throw the caveat out there for me and Rob both. I'm sure there are chiefs that are very plugged in and taking care of their people. And, and we don't know of them because they're not, uh, but, but the point is valid. The point is very valid. Here's, um, here,
0: here's what I will say. And, and, and I hope that Kurt backs me up on this. I tell you what, if there is a fire chief that wants to come to any county fire tactics conference, you get it go for free. Boom. Oh. come for free. I know Kurt would back me up on that. He will um, but I'll, I guarantee you he will. He, yeah, come for free and uh, i I'd, I'd love to be able to to meet you and and hear about your organization and hear about your you know your upbringing and, and how you came about. and I think we need more people like that. Because we we talk about this challenge in leadership in our organ in in our profession, and nobody's doing anything about it. And and when firefighters and company officers and people at our level as battalion chiefs are the ones that are being the critics and and trying to figure it out, and we're trying to jockey and do these things. It we're not making anything happen. It's got to happen at the top. It's got leadership has got to be the one that uh, um, leadership's got to be the one that that makes this happen. And uh, and it just. Set a good example. Show us.
1: So there you have it. Love it, man. Okay, which takes us to one of my favorite parts of the scrap. Uh, this whole new generation uh, of uh, questions, especially my favorite one, the song question. That evolved. <laughs> you were at that. You were at that uh, vigilante meetup where that question was born, and so I love it. Um, You've been exposed to the five questions for fighters before, so I won't belabor you with too much of the details. But basically, there are no right or wrong answers. The points are arbitrary. They're assigned by me. And and the cool part is, it's no longer just me. The audience loves typing max points. So <laughs> it's not just me. Uh, but I expect nothing but the best from the best guests uh, ever. Uh, so are you ready for the firefighter uh the, the five questions for firefighters, version three point two.
0: Three, uh, yes. yes. Okay. I
1: okay. Good. Number one, what is the skill that has carried you through your fire service career?
0: Passion. I think you know. Um, I don't even know if passion's a skill, but I just love the job so much. I, I. I mean, I'm. I'm fortunate that I fell in love with the job when I was five years old. I just wanted to be i mean at that time, and you know it was seventy three four seventy four I just wanted to be like these these were monster men that I met, and uh they just looked like heroes, they looked like they just could do anything, and uh they were kind, compassionate, at least from what I remember as being a kid, and so all I ever wanted to be was was a firefighter and Um, so I had, I mean, I was fortunate to, to be brought up in a, in a family that my, my dad was a hardworking individual. Um, God, he would work long hours. And, and, um, so I, I was brought up in the right environment and, uh, having a good work ethic. I think I have a good work ethic and it just, when you have something as cool as being in this profession, it made it real easy to have passion. And so, um, I mean, the only other thing I don't want to say that the second to this or, uh, you know, uh, but it, it would be just to have fun at work. And so, mm. you know, I just love coming to work and enjoying my time. I'm passionate about what we do. Sometimes passion gets in in gets me into trouble a little bit, you know, when we were talking about earlier. But uh, passion is passion to me. The passion is the thing that got me through. Boom. No, without a doubt, dude. But hey, I'll just tell Max you right point. now. Max, Max points. points, Max points. I don't
1: even, I don't have to wait for the audience, man. It's <laughs> Max points. You say passion. Here's here's what I want to do. I, I'm not even sure I was going to dive off into this, but I'm going to ask you this question because you are a passionate person. And in less than three months, you love this job. You have fun at this job. You're a passionate person. And you're mm-hmm. getting ready to say, I'm done with this job after close to 40 years. 30, 36 years with my organization. And the Explorer time. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, if
0: we... I started when I was 15. I'm going to be going out when I'm about ready to turn 55. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be emotional. I, um, I've kind of I don't want to say my department has driven me to retirement, but I will say my department has edged me to retirement. Uh, I don't necessarily want to leave, and as you know, it's just been a struggle for me. This right. year has been really rough. Uh, I don't want to leave the profession. Uh, I love my time. I mean, my situation is we live in Vegas and I work in Washington, and we were just my wife was retiring, and we knew that we wanted to be near the grandkids and the kids, mm-hmm. and so we just we bought our house and built built a house, and everything is great down there, and uh, we've been living in two different states. But um, if I could, I would continue doing the job. My whole plan was to work to fifty eight.
1: What about and, what about? I, mean, I don't want to walk on you, but no, what about? No, go for it. What about being a fire chief that's super passionate and going to conferences and stuff? Hmm. Like I, Yeah, I I <laughs> I I don't see fire chief in
0: my, you know, I don't see it in my in my future, but right on. Okay. But here I mean here here's the reason why. Um I just don't know that I'm a good fit for it and I think that uh everybody has a good fit for for what they do. Uh, I think I was a good fit for being on the ladder truck. I did fine on an engine, but I think I was a better fit for ladder truck. I think I'm a great fit for battalion and it's not just because I don't work as hard, but the things that motivate me, the things I enjoy doing is developing future officers and developing my battalion. And so I, I love spending a lot. I mean, that's why I do young officers on fire. That's why I do all this stuff. And so, so being a BC is a good fit. I I, I would have loved to have been an ops chief or, you know, been chief of training and, and been able to do that. But, um, but fire, fire chief is just doesn't seem like it's in my future. And here, here, here's what I'll say about all of my mentors or those that I would consider my friends that who are fire chiefs. I asked them, when did you know you wanted to be fire chief? And they're like, never, I never wanted to be fire chief. It just happened. And uh, so they never have a desire. So uh, it gets me to, to be kind of like the individuals that I meet early on in their careers and their company officers, and they're telling me they want to be fire chief. I've got questions.
1: Right on? Nope. You know, so, so I understand there's a chance. That's what I heard there. Well,.
0: <laughs> I live in Vegas and the departments in <laughs> Vegas is like uh, um, Vegas fire is like 19 stations or tw- I'm sorry. Vegas fire is 22 stations. North Vegas is nine stations. I think uh, Henderson, I mean, you know, Clark Lampion's probably going to log in here and tell me I'm, you know, I'm all lost. But uh, Henderson is is probably 12 stations and in Clark County, which is the strip is like 40 stations. So those are all big departments for right. A, For a guy like me coming from battalion, I just don't see the mayor saying, hey, we got this guy, Rob
1: Fisher. He's going to be a great fire chief for our department. We'll make him watch the scrap. He'll be fine. (laughs) I appreciate your confidence in me, though. (laughs) I love it. Okay, max points for number one. Number two, I love this question. I'm waiting to see. It's Job Town, and there is a Spotify uh, playlist. If you go to the Firehouse Vigilance Discussion, it's pinned there. You can get a link to it. It is being updated as far as I know. Uh, with all that being said, it's job town. It's time. Uh, you're in route and responding. You got to think of the scene from Backdraft. He's slapping that tape into the tape deck while responding. What song are you playing in route? Because
0: <laughs> we, the history behind this is that it started with uh, at the we were having the meetup,
1: and, the Vigilante
0: meetup in Pensacola. Yep, and we we were talking about what's your walk-up song because we were talking about like baseball. Yeah. And uh and and all I said was it's like in backdraft when they dropped the tape in yes, and that that's was just like started
1: this whole thing.
0: Boom. So um I could age myself and go to something in the seventies, which I would love to do, but um, the more I started thinking about it, I mean I've got there's so many songs that I would I'd wanna drop in that tape deck, but uh it's gonna be Motley Crue, Live Wire. Live wire yeah i love
1: it man i, love I mean you. the
0: other the other one that was a close second was scorpions um wild Song. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of puts you where where i'm at my granddaughter likes taylor swift and i'm like honey do you want to listen to any uh motley Crue or, or Scorpions, or maybe
1: some scorpions poison and it's not even like you're picking like the uh their, their big hits either those are some those are i won't say b-sides but they're not like the yeah you had, you had to know the albums to know these songs
0: well, I mean, it's the one. Uh, Live wire is what put Motley Crue on the map, on the map. Um, back in the '80s hair band days. And um, Scorpions, I mean, Scorpions had multiple great albums before, you know, they, you know, before Boys Running Wild came out on. Kind um, uh, of, I'm I'm trying to think of the exact. It's the one that has uh, Rocky like a hurricane. Hurricane, and, yeah. Which is their mega. Yeah, yeah. but anyways, yeah. But those, I, w- I would go with. I would go with Motley Crue. I mean, it's just Live Wire. Live Wire. Live it gets you it gets you going and here's here's the other thing is like you got to get a song that gets right to speed because you know you're looking at a three to four minute response time you don't have i mean you can't play a little pink floyd or anything you you can't let you can't be a makeup song you can't be a slow simmer exactly you can't wait two minutes to get up to speed it's like as soon as the bay door opens it's got to go right into it so
1: no, like Stranglehold is a great one, but it's just it's just such a long build up. You know, you can't. Yeah, I will get you. Yeah. I get you. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite fire service? And you uh, you got max points by the way, two for Thank two. You. Favorite fire service tradition number three. Well, I've got two of them, but I'm gonna.
0: Do I have to just give you one or can I give you both?
1: Well, I mean, there's always the danger you don't get max points if you give two answers. So okay, that's always, you... that's it, it better be two really damn good answers.
0: Well, I, I know these are two really good damn good, damn good answers or whatever, <laughs> but um so uh I'm going to give you the my answer and then is going to be um what do they call that
1: uh um, the the runner
0: uh, not a runner honorable up. honorable mention. Honorable mention. Okay. I have to get there. Uh And I, you know, I've, I've thought about this and, and there's, there's a lot of traditions in the fire service, but the one that I think it needs to stick out and has been screwed up a little bit uh, over my career is fire trucks are red. They're red, not yellow, not lime green, not any other weird color you can come up with. Fire engines are red. That is a tradition, a tradition that we have screwed up. Now, if I were to pick another color, because the city or the county I'm working for says you're not going to have a red fire engine. It would be white, but red fire engine. Here's how I'll back it up is that the neighboring department to mine, this goes back to the nineties. They had yellow fire trucks and there was a complaint filed to the department and they said the red fire truck drove by me, blah, 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 whatever it was. Well, that department didn't have red fire trucks and it wasn't a red fire. It was the one. But the public thinks and sees red fire trucks, no matter what color it is. So my tradition
1: is red fire trucks. Max fire max points for red fire trucks, period. And that's backed up by science, by the way. It is backed up. But here's my honorable mention. Okay. Uh, the kitchen table.
0: Dude. Yeah. I mean, there is there is the one thing that I know that I'm gonna miss. And uh, I feel sorry for Clark County fire in Vegas because I am be- going to become that <laughs> guy. guy. That's gonna, you mind if I come in and grab a cup of coffee and you know what? I have to, I'm a taxpayer. I'm coming in, I'm having coffee and I'm sitting at the kitchen table. So there's so much that gets done at the kitchen table and, um, a fire chiefs, chiefs above battalion battalions, visit your station, sit at the kitchen table and talk that's how you know your people that's how you know what's going on you want to be able to have some you know some collateral to do things down the road you can't just come in and ask people to do ask your firefighters to do things if you haven't spent time with them the best time next to the fireground, next to training is at the kitchen table and mm-hmm. so the kitchen table is my honorable mention
1: so uh, and and I said it better be damn good answers, but one hundred percent max points because I'll tell you this: I almost, I, I'm almost to the point of changing that question, and it basically being other than the kitchen table. What is your favorite fire service tradition? Because it is, it it literally is the greatest. There, uh, and and anybody correct me on this? I don't know of another profession that has the firehouse, uh, uh, the kitchen table that we have that we get to share that that shift change that. That after dinner, that that camaraderie, that bonding time—I don't, I don't, I don't know where that exists in any other profession.
0: I, I don't think it does. Well, I yeah. mean, military maybe, but that maybe, and but that's else,
1: that's the only one I, in combat military specifically. Almost, you know, combat military because if you're yeah. if you're at the
0: base, you're eating at the you know, right. you're eating at the cafeteria, but that's but as close as you know, I
1: think you can get.
0: Yeah, when you, but when you look at the when you look at the history of the fire service, I mean, firefighters before there were shifts, I mean they they basically lived excuse me they lived at the fire station yeah they had families that would visit the fire station right and would you know dine with them and everything but back in the days that that was that was your job you you lived at the fire station and you would go home on occasion and then there came a and b shift and then there came c shift right and now you know but that's that's neither here nor there but but the, but when the fire service is making everything a family, the kitchen table, I mean, that's, I mean, that's where society is struggling now is, is that, you know, we don't sit down at the kitchen table as often as we used to. And, um, there creates problems in, you know, in our family unit. And when the fire service is not sitting down at the table on a regular basis and hashing
1: stuff out, then we're going to have problems. So, mm. no, it's beautiful, man. I love the kitchen table, man. Uh, brother, you can't go wrong. Mm. Uh, this one we had to put on the clock because ultimately, this is the one where you could go on and on and on with honorable mentions, right and and it was it was actually adding like doubling the length I mean, we' already we're, we're pushing two hours, Rob, I don't know if you realize I <laughs> I apologize to uh, but um, so long story short, one minute to answer, you get to put four people on your Mount Rushmore of the fire service. Sam is gonna start the clock and go tom brennan
0: andy fredericks lane kemper from lafd bob morris eight seconds
1: eight seconds <laughs> no uh, is, it, is that the I, well, <laughs> yeah. I i
0: mean here i mean here's the thing i mean like it's not like i don't listen to the scrap so i know that this question is coming right you can come at it from so many so many different angles and not that this is my time trying to explain but you can come at it from so many different angles. I I thought as I was doing, I was like, oh man, is it the, is it the individuals in my life that helped shape me, which would be, I mean, I'm not going to go into honorable mentions, but there's some people that really did a good job shaping me as I think did the best they could. Right. But I looked at it from, you know, Mount Rushmore is just not in, just not individuals that are up there that shaped a single small group of people the individuals on Mount Rushmore shaped America Mm. and so I look at it as you know if we're talking about shaping the American fire service there are there is definitely more than just the four there but oh yeah so I took a little bit of personal side of it like what developed me as a firefighter and as a company officer and I took the side of it as who are who had the greatest impact I think in the American fire service and I mean, number one is is Tom Brennan. I don't think anybody has had as much of an impact, you know, from being editor-in-chief and going on. You know, they said he went on 25,000 working structure fires in his career. Lord. You know, I've gone on 25,000 EMS calls in my career. But, right. But, um, wow. Bob Morris has written all the stuff on Forcible Entry. And it is the Bible for everybody in America when it comes to Forcible Entry. Um Andy Fredericks, you know he's got conferences named after him i mean he he wrote a lot for fire engineering he was a student of the fire service um and then I throw in Lane Kemper because being from the west coast, Lane was from uh l a f d he died of cancer i i believe it was cancer, but he died after retirement and uh but he had he shaped a lot of what uh the l a f d has for truck operations and and then that was carried on by Mittendorf and so on and so forth. So those are my four on
1: on firefighter Mount Rushmore. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. <laughs> uh, easy max points. And that was a killer. Eight seconds. Uh, and what I really love is is your explanation of because we we had we we've discussed this. It's like not a fair question. It's it's so brutal on somebody because how do you pick between the people that shaped the fire service and the people that shaped your career? You know, your personal life, you yeah. know. And, and that's, that is tough. So I loved your explanation there. I loved it. Okay, final question. It is the question that's never changed. It's the question that probably will never change. It's heavy fire, searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? You know, I... <laughs> I enjoy the people coming I, back to hear the question again. Yeah, so.
0: I mean, it, it's not going to change for me. But okay. uh, I, did, I did hear, you know, Sergi talk about how... You, you know the truck company comes up and they see the nozzle there they, you know that they're just like oh i just want to pick it up i just want to use it and i like <laughs> and i and i you know i'm so i'm going to give it from perspective of battalion chief i'm arriving first and if i arrive first at a fire um hopefully i'm i'm equipped i'm properly dressed but if i arrive first and a mom or dad are saying, "My kids in that room. I'm diving in that window. It's ves all day long, buddy."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, mm-hmm. I love I've, the end. I love
1: the BC perspective.
0: But it's but even, I mean, I, I, if I was on an engine, I guess it, it, the hard part is, you know, what do I want to do? Well, I I spent my most of my career, a good eighty percent of my career, was on a ladder truck. I love doing ladder truck operations. So. Um, and yes, I was on a quint and I could have stretched the line, but, but we're about saving lives. And if that's the mission, if I can go in and do a VES and, and affect the rescue, then I'm, then that's what I'm going to do. And I enjoy it, but I will say I'm not, not like I'm, I'm wavering at all. It is fun to get on the nozzle. There's a picture out there of me flowing, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm using the Camella grip and I'm flowing a line. We were teaching at, uh, at Mile High Conference this last October, and I'm like, "Ooh, this feels good. I, I kind of like this. This is good." But it's
1: VES all day. There you go. I love final it, an- final answer. 150 GPM, 100 of the time. But well, no,
0: one sixty because 160 we we're using
1: because it was smooth bore seven, seven eight smooth <laughs> bore. But I love it. Uh, there it is. That officially makes it five for five max points. Uh, as expected, and, and I want to tell you, like so many people said, he had max points before he ever opened his mouth. That was <laughs> that was a, uh, a sentiment that was running throughout the chat. But 100%, that officially makes it 226 scraps in the books. My brother, Rob Fisher, thank you for an amazing evening. If someone wants to get a hold of you, if they want to ask you questions, they want to get more information, how can they go about doing that?
0: Uh, RobFisher72 at gmail.com. Rob Fisher 72 on Facebook, Rob Fisher 72 on Insta, which I'm not on Instagram as much. Um, My phone number 425-870-0129. Yes. I'm giving you my cell phone number. So um, my cell phone is set so that I can't get spam. uh, Robocalls. So if you're not a number that I recognize, it sends you automatically to my voicemail, leave me a voicemail and I'll get back to you. But uh, I love talking fire. I love talking shops. So. And then uh, Young Officers on Fire, that's the big thing. And I'm at almost all of the CFT conferences. And and uh, I don't travel as often as I should or as I used to with Brothers in Battle. But there's, I mean, I'll just say Brothers in Battle's got some great mm-hmm. instructors. And uh, I'm the old guy and I haven't worked on a ladder truck in uh, eight or nine years. So I just love going and just hanging out and watching those guys work and teach and passing on. But You know, we're brothers in battles that I try to get to. I'll be at firemanship in July. Um, I'll be at um, ODP in two weeks. I'll be at uh, BC boot camp in one month. Uh, March mayhem in Idaho in in March, just after I retire. Good God. Um, Young officers on fire, you know, leadership conference in May come. Have some great people there, somebody like Corley Moore, Frank Lead, so Rob Fisher. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I actually I am <laughs> teaching there now, so it's yeah. awesome, man. Well, let me just hey, Corley, let me just tell you yep. I, uh, I not to not to do uh, you know, a bro session here and stroke you, but I, you are one of my favorites as well. And um, I and you and I have talked about this. I don't know how you do it. Uh, a lot of people think I'm a busy guy, which I do believe I'm busy, but you. I don't know how you do it. You're so dedicated to this profession and trying to make it better. And uh, I am so glad that our two past met and uh, that I get the benefit of our relationship and learning from you. And, you know, you're writing books, you got everything going on. It just like it's awesome that you're doing it. And then uh, to the crowd or to the audience, I mean, just thank you for being into the job and uh, wanting Amen. to make it better and being here with us and listening to
1: us. Um, BS for this two hours and I appreciate your time tonight. So there you have it. I love it. Hey, hey, hey! I'm terrible at taking compliments. So thank you. That's what I've learned to say is thank you because it's the only thing I can do. Cause uh, I, when people tell me uh, thank you for what you do or, you know, how do you do it? It's like, Holy crap. I got to talk to Rob Fisher one-on-one for two hours straight. Like, and people say, thank you for doing it. And to me, that blows my mind. Okay. So hundred uh, percent. Thank you for the compliment. Uh, I I really do. There's a lot of good podcasts out there, a ton of good podcasts out there. There really are. But there is only one scrap. And the reason I say that is not because it's mine, not because it's what I do. It's because the audience logs in every week and asks the most kick-ass questions. They give the most awesome feedback. They give the max points out. They uh, interact. Uh, Without the audience, it's just another podcast. And you guys are the ones that make it magical. So uh, we'll just keep passing out bro love
0: absolutely i mean that's that's what makes us unique and it just kills me that you're able to pull this off every week and still do everything that you do and just it kills me but in addition to being here be a vigilante if you haven't uh signed up to be a vigilante join us it's it's great being a part of it and get a lot of behind the scenes stuff and a lot of really cool and you're
1: connected with some of the great in the fire service so that's awesome hey thank you ralph 100 percent. thank you for that uh coming up uh, that's it I, I, I don't even know what to say 2024 is off to the races, <laughs> the bar has been set, and so we'll see where it goes from here. Um, after party, The vi- speaking of the vigilantes, um, Rob's not done because now you get to go and ask him questions. If you're a vigilante, you get to have a one-on-one conversation with him, and it's the after party. I will post the link in the private group. Um, that's it. My brother, I, man, I don't know what else to say. It's been a killer night. We've already got two hours. Killer <laughs> night. 226 two, done. It's in the books. So thank you. Uh, Thank you for the time. Uh, Vigilantes, I'll see you soon. Everybody else, I hope that the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Everybody, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.